what we're trying to do with IRL is take the questions that you've all shared with us, we didn't make these up, and then unpack them biblically. Um, and that might raise questions, and it might create discomfort, and you might go and have conversations with other people that you find uncomfortable, and we say, praise God, because that's what we're called to do as disciples, to be learners of Him, not self-righteous. I hope you don't see that in me. I, I love that we can learn together. And, I, and, and there's not to say there's not things that are knowable and true. There are. But our job is to discover them together. That's the hope and the prayer for the series. Um, it's been quite an adventure and uh, quite a bit of, of work, um, not by me only, but by the team who's been putting this together. They've, they've really invested a lot, and uh, it's been beautiful. So to tell you that that's what's going on, just so you know, and then that, what that means is I'm going to kind of spend a little bit of time framing the conversation, and then we're going to have a panel discussion to start the conversation. And the intention is that you would find a way in your life to Con, not conclude maybe, but finish or continue the conversation in your lives somewhere, whether that's family groups or a Bible study or maybe in, in your homes with your spouse or your children or your parents, that you would find a place that you could then unpack this a little more and say, man, that, this made me uncomfortable. I don't know what this, what do, I, what do I believe about this? What does the Bible say about this? That's the prayer that we would become the kind of people that would get our truth from God's word and believe his promises are true. That's the prayer for the series. So today I'm going to start the way I've been starting, um, is by reading the questions. And I don't think I grabbed an engagement sheet today. Do I have one? Thank you, dear. Um, so I'm going to read these questions off the engagement sheet. If you grab one of these, you have them as well. And then um, I'm going to read uh, scripture, and we'll pray, and then we'll get, uh, get into the text today. The three questions we have today to consider is this. Um, how can I practically protect my time so that it's used for the things that matter most? The second question, how do I listen to God? And the third, how do I quiet myself long enough for God to speak rather than just me talking to God? As our um, foundational text, I'm, I'm going to um, read from Acts. Actually, if you want to turn there, you can. Acts 13, verses 14 through 23. This is going to be our foundational text, not only in what we talk about, but also in the structure of what we talk about. So I hope you can see that as we work through today, what God's Word says consistently about this issue of finding rest in God and prioritizing our lives rightly, starting in verse 14 of chapter 13 of the book of Acts. From Perga, they went on to Poseidon Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets... The synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the pr people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country, and he endured their conduct for 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. 
He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you know, compelled men to be obedient and then to capture and transmit and bring your word to us. And indeed, we believe that as humans, there are errors in human way. And so we ask that you would divinely intercede as we explore your word, that you would show us the truth of what your scripture says, Father. We want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to believe, and a, a, a passion to obey. Will you do that work today, Father? We don't want error. We want you. Would you teach us through your word? We ask this powerful prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this whole idea of how we can create margin in our life and how we can allow um, space for God to work, you know, that we can uh, hear from God, not just talk to God. Well, if you've ever had that experience in your life where you just feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, have you ever heard that saying? They just seem to bounce right back. There's nothing happening. You cry out to God and, and, and it seems there's no response. Or just as often, you think you should cry out to God, but that's kind of embarrassing, so you think, I'll just suck it up and get through it on my own. Today we want to talk this um, this this the book of Acts, that little thing where Paul shares with the people in the synagogue about the truth of the gospel and the longevity of the gospel of God, that he's been revealing himself to his people. I'm going to give you some principles that I pulled out. I want you to go and check and see. I want you to discuss and disagree if you don't think that that's right. I want you to wrestle with these things so that you might draw closer to Christ in your relationship, not because I said it, but because he will teach you if you care to learn. So those, that's kind of the idea today. This first principle, which we heard, and it's kind of hidden in the Acts text, and it's hidden throughout the Bible, and it's something that we might not be comfortable with. But if you, if you want to um, protect your time, you know, if you want to make margin, I'm going to use that word a lot today, margin, if you ever think about a book and it's got that white space around the edges, if you want to create the room in your life for God to communicate with you and you to communicate with God, I believe there's one fundamental thing that we have to come to grips with, and that's this first point, which is to fear God. It's kind of funny because the psalmist writes that the fear, or the uh, Proverbs, I believe, writes that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And I think we take that and we kind of go, yeah, I fear God, and we move right on in our lives. You think about how we prioritize things in our life. It's always because the things that are the most important, sometimes, as we always say, the things that are urgent, rise to the top, right? And they overcome the important. But what it really reveals in our lives, if we, if we are not able, willing to create time and space to have a conversation and listen, is that we don't truly fear God. The gospel is ripe with this idea that, matter of fact, if you think about it, that, that he sent his son because God is to be feared, that no one could stand in that gap and be righteous with God but Jesus. Unless you think that's an easy get-out-of-jail-free card, the Bible says that in the end we will see him face to face. The one who we claim died to forgive our sins. And what we pray that we know in that moment is that he would say, I know you. And what we pray we would never hear is, I never knew you. See, this idea of fearing God isn't about 
isn't, no, hear me, it isn't about, oh, I'm so afraid, I'm not going outside, but it's this idea that he is worthy of praise. Did you hear, I told you we sing some crazy songs about God. He is worthy of all our praise, and that doesn't mean all my praise and all your praise, because you're believers, you go, yeah, he's worthy of all our praise. No, he's worthy of all the praise of every set of lips that he's knit together in the mouth of a mom, I mean, in the womb of a mom. He's worthy of praise. He's to be feared. So it's just woven, in, woven into Acts here. I want you to read through with me, if you're still there, I hope you are, about the way Paul tells this story. It says, on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and they sat down, right? This is what Paul's doing. This is what he is, he's joining the people for worship. And, and it says, um, if you have a word of encouragement for the people, tell us now. If you have something good for the people of God, tell us what the good news is. And this is what the word says. You can read it in verse 16. Listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our father, our fathers. I want you to notice something. Everything Paul says in his confession about, to the people, the good news, is that God did something awesome for us. That God did something. Look at what it says. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. You remember, they were slaves in Egypt, but God caused his people to prosper in slavery, in adversity, Paul says. Then, not to stop there, by what? His mighty power. I hope you're looking at it. What? He led them out of that country. God did that. Israel didn't have a good idea. Moses wasn't an awesome leader. God led them out of captivity. Man, look at 18 messes me up. We always tell that story. You remember Israel. They got out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they go out into the desert, and then they wander around for 40 years until that generation dies because they did not believe that God had given them the promised land. They didn't take him at his word. They didn't obey him. Do you remember that story? And I've always thought, man, those poor Israelites wandering in that desert for 40 years, dying without seeing the promised land. As a matter of fact, Moses, the man of God, wasn't allowed to enter either because of his sin against God. He got to see it, but not enter it. Do you know that's in the Bible, right? The Lord took him up to a mountain and said, look, there it is, but you're not going. But the, Paul's confession is that God, not, not man, endured God's wrath for 40 years and all that, that God endured man's disobedience, right? That God endured, look, he endured their conduct for 40 years in the desert. That, that miracle story ain't because the Israelites didn't give up in the desert. The miracle is that God didn't give up on the Israelites. He endured their conduct. Look, Verse 19, he overthrew the seven nations. You read those stories about them taking the promised land. That wasn't their good warriors. That's God went before them, drove them out, called them into the kingdom, claimed his people. Man, over and over again, all that took 450 years, he says. By the way, gave their land to his people, man. After this, God gave them judges. So God gave the judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave God gave him Saul. And then it says, after he removed Saul. You see, God did that. You might read that story of Saul and David and go at evil Saul. God put him in power and God took him out of power. And David believed that was true. And then it says, he made David their king. 
a man after his own heart. Why? He will do everything that I want him to do. And then it says, from this man's descendants, that's from King David's descendants, he brought to Israel, good news people, the Savior Jesus, just as he said he would. I will restore the lineage of David. God is to be feared. And it might feel disconnected. You know, it might, there's a tendency that we think, man, that's all back there somewhere. But the truth is that um, we are called to fear God. We're called to fear God. Now, th these next things are going to kind of tie together, but I want you to turn, if you would, to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. We're going to read a few verses here. This is uh, right in the middle of the commandments that God gives, um, uh, God gives on the mountain. And, and they start with this idea that God is righteous and to be feared. But I want to talk about this third one, talking about creating margin. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant, nor maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien that lives within your gates. Because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We, we, we wanted to start with this idea that one of the, the things that we are called to do is to set aside a portion of our time to honor the Lord. To honor the Lord. And I want to talk just for a second, I know, but about what is and what is not, right? So everyone has seven days in a week. And what God asks slash commands is that you would take one of the seven and you would set it aside and say, this day is holy to the Lord. Now there have been a lot of people who fought over what day it needs to be and all that. But you know, there's this reality that we don't recognize him in our busyness, okay? So, and I'm going to just put this out there straight. Like, if we say our lives are so important that we can't take a day off, and we live in a culture that says that, you are too important to take a day off. Don't you take a day off. The world will come apart if you take a day off. We believe that we are more important to the functioning of this world than God is. Because six days he created... And then he stopped, and he rested, and he said, it's good. And there's this fundamental realization that if we are not, and you say, well, that's legalism and all that, but if you're not willing to draw that line and say, I'm taking this day, and invariably, when you begin to take that day, there will become opposition to that, right? I mean, it will happen instantly, internally, externally, all around, just do this one thing, just do this one thing. Unless you think that pastors are immune from this, I just was um, talking this week about somebody I heard who was sharing about their idea of Sabbath. And what their idea of Sabbath is, is no church talk. You just can't do church talk. They take their Sabbath on a Friday, and you can't do church talk on Friday. But I was listening to this brother in the Lord, and I believe he's a brother in the Lord, and he's saying that's enough. A Sabbath is a rest from church talk. But if you read what the Bible says, a Sabbath is a rest from work. See, many of us look at the Lord's Day as just another day. That, you got Google Calendar? I mean, why leaves all those days empty? <laughs> You can jam something in there, can't you? You can stick something, obligation, some opportunity. You can, you can do something beautiful for God in that day. Don't, don't waste that day. Can you imagine if your Google Calendar looked like that? Just red and blue and green, and then a white column where there's nothing. People say, what? That, that's weird. 
It's holy to the Lord. The Bible says, um, I mean, Jesus said, and, and it's recorded in the Bible, um, Sabbath, uh, man wasn't made for Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. That's kind of a funny little turn of phrase there, right? But he's saying, it's for you. When they were being caught, charged with being legalistic, why are they picking grain? He's like, no, no, no. Sabbaths were created to bless man, not to be a burden. Uh, when we were down in Guatemala, um, one of the things that they've decided to do as a ministry is to set a Sabbath day. And because they, ha they, they have a 24-7 operation, they offset their Sabbaths on the team. And we were there for that. And the funny thing is, I just felt compelled to share it with you, is that Dwayne, who runs that ministry, on his Sabbath, what does he wear? Does anyone guess what he wears? What do you think he wears six days while he works? steel toe work boots. Yeah? Jeans, long sleeve, short sleeve shirts but he's ready to work. What do you think he wears on the Sabbath? Flip-flops, sandals. Do you know why he does it? Because he can't trust himself. He said it. I can't, his son said it. Ryan said, Dad, he can't trust himself. If he wears his work boots, he's going to work. He puts on sandals to remind himself that this is not the day for you to work. This is the day for you to honor the Lord, to, 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 to you know, just revel in his blessing, to appreciate who he is in your life. Just one instance, then I'm not saying, but has there something the conviction they came to? How, how do we do that in our lives? How do, we, how do we set that time aside? One thing I will say before we move on is, it's not a, a Sabbath is not a time to set aside for religious busyness, and this is what it turns into in church world. Well, you know, you gave six days, everything else, give the seventh day to the Lord, and you get busy in church, and you go to things, and you do things, and you run, run, run. Sometimes our Sundays are like that around here, aren't they? They're like, like, I'm exhausted, man. Sundays are exhausting. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. Like, people are like, this is exhausting. It's too much. That's not a Sabbath to the Lord. That's what we turn it into too often. We turn it into um, religious busyness as if that's supposed to make up for all the secular busyness that we have. And then we're just busy all the time. All right, I gotta move on. Second, second point I wanna make to you today is that we need to make ourselves available to God. Make ourselves available to God. Um, I didn't put this in here, but if you wanna turn to 1 Samuel uh, 3, you can. Uh, you don't have to. We're gonna work through 1 and 2 Samuel really quickly. I know it sounds crazy, but we're gonna bang through it real quick. But I wanna talk about this um, call that we heard of in the book of Acts of Samuel, right? That, that until the time of Samuel, um, that the judges were appointed. And uh, the, this, you've heard the story before. Um, I'm gonna pick it up in verse uh, seven, I believe. Yeah, verse 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. And so this is what the word says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been what revealed to him. It had not been revealed to him yet. This is a story where Samuel was at the temple and the, he was hearing a voice. And he kept going to Eli, the priest, and he would say, you called me? And Eli's like, I didn't call you, go back to bed. You know, this kid kept coming up. I didn't call you, go back to bed. But what we can learn, a couple things here from Samuel, and by the way, let's not forget that Samuel was dedicated, don not donated, <laughs> that's kind of a funny word, but he was uh, dedicated, given unto the Lord, literally, like, like his mom, uh, Hannah, would pray all the time, she had no children, she said, Lord, if you give me a child, I'll give it to you, and she brought Samuel to the temple and gave him to Eli and said, raise him in the way of the Lord, and that's this young man we're going to talk about now, Samuel. So we find him in the middle of this kind of waking up at night, hearing a voice and responding to his master, Eli, and Eli saying, go back to bed. Verse 8 says this, the Lord called to Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, here I am, you called? And Eli realized then, now this is the priest, that the Lord was calling the boy. And so Eli said to Samuel, 
Go back and lie down. If he calls you again, say these words. Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid back down in his place. The Lord came to him and stood there calling and other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said these words, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make everyone's ears burn. Bring about a righteousness into his priesthood. Samuel is a great little story because it's this idea that you can hear voice, but what I love is, is that he makes himself available. Now, at first to Eli, he goes and he says, yes, you called, what do you need? There's this response, right? Here I am. Man, what a beautiful word, you know, in the Bible. If, you, if we would just have that part of our life with God, we fear God, and then we say, here I am. You see it in Isaiah 6, right? Who will I send? Here I am, send me. Jesus says, follow me, I'll follow you. Leave your nets, leave your homes and follow me. I'll go, I'll do that. Like that right there is the beginning of a, of a, a, a responsive relationship to the gospel and the God of the gospel, you know. Yeah, send me. I'll go. I'm scared, I don't know how to do it. I'll do it, I'll try. Here I am. And then this second lesson that comes to me like the priest is this. The next time you hear that, say, speak. Because your servant is listening. Make yourself available to God. Maybe it is that Sabbath you've not been taking. And you go, well, this is going to be a waste of a day. Well, maybe. Or maybe it's going to change your whole life. Maybe the thing you need more than anything else is to stop and listen. Stop running around. Matter of fact, the thing that he's, God said I'm going to do is Eli's sons had become, the sons of the priest had become uh, offensive to God. Because they were abusing God's people and taking God for granted. They no longer feared the Lord. They didn't fear God. And God said, I'm going to do something crazy, Samuel. I'm going to cut them off as priests. It's serious to make ourselves available. Lord, what do you, what do you want? What do you want in this situation? Which leads me now into our, um, our journey here. Uh, through this is this comes in through the life of David, and um, the the principle is to ask God first, ask God first. And I'm just going to walk through these real quick. I have them on the screen so we can all see them together. And I want you to see this is unique because in David's life, King David, the man after God's own heart, one unique marker of his life was that any time he wasn't sure what to do, the first thing he would do is what ask God. The first thing he would do is ask God. And this is found throughout the books of First and Second Samuel where it records his history and it records this over and over. Check this out. We'll go quickly. There's nine times this happens. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting and are looting, and are looting the threshing floors, right? He, he's, he's, there's this danger. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Now, you might see that, you go, well, of course you should. They're invading. They're, they're taking your stuff. But he says, no, I'm going to stop in the middle of this crisis and say, Lord, should I do this or should I not do this? Once again, then David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, go down to Calah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. And he waits to hear from the Lord. Lord, are you telling me to do this? And then he responds, and he obeys. What does it say? A man after my own heart who will do what I have asked what I've commanded 
1 Samuel 23, 10 through 11, David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kela and destroy the town on account of me. Now Saul was not a very gracious king and he was going to pursue David and kill him. Will the citizens of Kela surrender to me, he asked. Look at these questions. Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, yeah, he will. What? That's going to happen? I think I still have it here. Oh, I know. It's kind of funny because, oh, maybe it is here. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kela surrender uh, me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. Yeah, there it is. So David and the men left. I love that. There's a bad guy coming. He don't assume that he's going to beat the, he's like, is this going to happen? I was like, yeah. And then David's like, get your stuff. We're going. We're leaving. The Lord says this is going to happen. We're out of here. There's no one to be feared more than God. He asked God, and then he left. 1 Samuel 38 through 9, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? This is a different situation here, right? Um, will I overtake them? And God says, yeah, pursue them, and you will certainly overtake them, and you will certainly succeed. And David pursued them and did. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord again, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah, he asked. And the Lord said, yeah, go up. David asked, well, then where should I go? And he said, to Hebron. So David went to Hebron. I think we read this and we think, well, that's David, right? Matter of fact, that's the only time you see that in the Bible, that kind of relationship. But he did it, and he went. He obeyed. He asked, man. Do we even ask? Um, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king now over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it, and he went down to the stronghold. He went to his hideout. And then, what do you think he did? He inquired of the Lord. That's what he did. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered, go, because I will surely give them into your hands. And so David went. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just thinking about that whole situation where he was king and he fled to a, and he stopped and he asked because he knew God was to be feared. Uh, once more the Philistines came up and spread out and so David inquired of the Lord and he asked. And, and this is what God said. Don't go straight up but come around from behind by the mulberry trees, which is, uh, I think it's mulberry trees or poplar trees, one of those two in the, in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? And what do you think David did? He went right head on toward him, didn't he? He just went right up their face. He's like, I'm the king. I've beat you before. No. <laughs> he went around the back and he came and confronted them at the mulberry trees when he heard the rustling in the tops because he knew that the Lord was going to give them into his hands and he struck down the Philistines. And then last, I think, is this one here. Maybe there's one more. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three years and so David sought the face of the Lord and the Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. He's like, why is this happening, God? And that's a funny thing, because we're always, often told not to ask that question, why? But David asked, he says, you know, why is it happening? Is there something that we're doing? Is there some, something that's happening in us that's causing this suffering? And the Lord said, no, it wasn't you, it was because of Saul that you're paying this price. Nine times he asks, and then of course, what does he do? He does, or doesn't do, what God says should or shouldn't happen. Now see, that is uncomfortable because that, man, makes me feel very responsible for my relationship and obedience to God. 
And you know what I'm saying? Like, I got to ask. I remember one time um, I was, uh, I think I may have told this before, but I was, I was talking to somebody who was trying to find out about a job and they couldn't decide this job or that job and their job was at risk and they were thinking about jumping ship and they weren't sure. And they said to me these words, um, it's easy for you because you're a pastor. And I said, what do you mean? They said, well, pastors just pray and do what God says. And I laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. First of all, you're giving a lot of credit to pastors because we're people. And secondly, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Why don't you just pray and do what God says? Why is that different from me? I never thought about that before. <laughs> yeah, you lay that on my step. Well, it's easy for you. You're a pastor. You pray, you obey God. You pray, you obey God. Man, that's a, that's a life and death struggle right there. But what about us? Well, we do what we think is best in our own eyes. That's what we like to do, right? Well, God, I did what I thought was best. <clears throat> did you ask? No, I didn't ask. Part of the uh, confession and I'm not intending to go back to this repeatedly here today, but part of the confession of Adonai is that they were going to be obedient to God or he was going to take out, he was going to bring a great cost against their family. And you don't like to think of it that way, but it's obey or else. You choose to obey out of joy. Ask God first. Matter of fact, we see this in Jesus' own life. Jesus repeatedly with his disciples, he was here on the earth, he was fully God, fully man, and yet he would go alone to a solitary place to pray to God the Father. He would spend time in his life, his valuable life, talking to the Father and listening to the Father and doing what? The Father's will. That's what the gospel is, is it's Jesus doing the will of the Father. A demonstration for us that through God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be obedient unto the Lord. All right, last point and we're done. This is um, ask God, and then I would encourage you to ask the kingdom uh, question. Ask the kingdom question. And of course, the kingdom question, I, may, I called the text, I want it to be really simple for us because I'm a pretty simple person, and it's this. Will this matter forever? Will it matter um, forever? I'm going to turn to the gospel of Mark. You can turn there if you choose. It's our last stop. Um, Mark 8, 34 and 36. This is Jesus teaching. And he asks this question. I've shared this with you before, Family Bible, and I, want, I know, but I, I think it's worth understanding. Um, let's see. Yeah, 834 through 36. Yeah. Then Jesus called the crowds to him along with his disciples, and he said this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, because whoever wants to lose his life or his soul will or whoever wants to save his life or his soul will lose it, but whoever loses his life or his soul for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, that's a hard teaching. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourselves what you think you want. Take up your cross, which is unique to all of us. We have a cross to bear, and then follow Jesus. Inquire the Lord. Seek him out. All right, check it out. Then he says this, what good is it for a person to gain the entire world and yet forfeit his soul? And that's that question. The kingdom question is, will this matter forever? When you're trying to prioritize your life, will it matter forever? Uh, surprisingly, and maybe shockingly for me anyways, um, very few things make that list that they will matter forever. Fearing God will matter forever. Obeying the Lord will matter forever. What your friends think about you while you're being obedient won't matter forever. It's a great clarifying question for those who are kingdom people that are called Jesus' own. Um, I'll remind you as we uh, close and transition here into the question and answer. 
Um, Paul said, I'm just going to read it to you again. Paul said, in the end of his, or not the end, I guess, but the end of what we're studying today is good news. He said, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel this Savior Jesus, just like he promised, right? And as people of Jesus, we have to ask, will this matter forever? And if we could order our lives that way, it would change everything. And I know that's hard. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for your word and for the uh, profound um, scope and scale of what you do through your people. Uh, we do thank you that you are the one who moves and acts and uh, you invite us to obedience, Lord. And, and uh, you know, just like David, who wasn't perfect, man, they've made a lot of mistakes that, that we make a lot of mistakes, but we want to be men and women after your own heart. Uh, we want to be the kind of people that seek to please you, to obey you, um, not just because it's good for us, because it honors you no matter what. Even if when it's bad for us, it honors you. Father, uh, for uh, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus who came and did uh, what was bad for him, but good for us, we give you thanks and praise. Pray today, Father, that if uh, your word has struck in our hearts in anything, that your Holy Spirit would, would continue to nag us about it until we're complying with you. Um, that you would not give up on us, your, your name, your people, that we claim your name as our God and our Savior, that it would be, not be dishonored because of our disobedience, but that you would call us and compel us into the areas of our, li of your, of our lives where you want us to be. Would you do that work uh, for us today and with us today and may we be com uh, complicit in the work uh, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to um, invite a couple of folks up today uh, to sit on the panel and discuss this briefly. And so if you are planning on uh, being part of the panel today, would you come up? There you go, Mike. I'll give you this one. Thanks. My, Matt, you want to grab that mic over the... And I'll give you the handheld, Michael. It's turned off yet. Oh, okay. All right. So some practical questions for you guys today. That, and hopefully we are all thinking. By the way, I will give a, a moment for q and I didn't do it last week. I apologize for that. But um, so we talked, I hope we talked about creating margin in our life. And um, my first question is, how do you create margin or space in your own life for God to to interact with God. What are some ways that you do that practically? Uh, I think for me, creating margin involves kind of looking at what I'm doing overall and seeing, am I having to rush around to get everything done that I've, that I've got on my schedule? And if that's the case, then I need to um, drop a few things because I need to have some time to, to rest, um, even time to be quiet. And uh, like you said earlier, Jesus went away um, by himself. Um, and you could argue that Jesus he's had the most important ministry of any man, but he is going away by himself. How much more should we go away and have time alone? And I think that's so important. Um, whatever your schedule is, at some point, we need to have some time where we're not required to do anything. Hmm. Okay. I'd like to just add to that too, Bill, as well. Um, we all have our schedules that... that we always just seem not to be able to find time to. But even in that time of, of schedules, 
I can tell you that if you listen to what other people say, and, and just like Bill said earlier, I hope that you guys are generating more questions after you hear us talk, because this is only how our lives are affected by what we're telling you. But I was listening to one of our programs uh, in the men's group one time, and the guy said that 80 to 90% of your time, you ought to spend it thinking about God and talking to God. And I went away and said, you got to be out of your mind. 80 to 90% of your time? Hmm. There's, there's just no way. And I started to think about that every day. And I'll tell you guys, if you want to improve your life, in the times that you are just, I don't care what it is during the day, if you so much as sit down and you clear your mind and you just turn that directly to God, you'd be surprised how much you can, how much time you will spend in a day actually thinking about, oops, yeah, it sounds like it. actually thinking about our directing thought toward bringing Him glory. And it is amazing how your life, how just the joy and the blessings in your life are enhanced by that one thing just those few moments that, that clear your mind and how much of your mind becomes less cluttered because now the Holy Spirit's got a foothold instead of Satan having a foothold, putting all the busyness in front of us. All right, so I'm going to ask a follow-up question. And if you guys can share the other mic, that'd be awesome, awesome. Um, um, so following up on that question, uh, how, so how do, you, how do you practically speak and listen to God? You kind of made that allusion, alluded to that mic, like more time, like how? Something real practical, if you can share that. Or Matt, as well. Uh, sure. One thing that, uh, that Beth and I have tried is we try to pray um, most nights before we go to bed together. And then um, maybe once a week, hopefully, or a couple times a month, have a little bit more time devoted to prayer. And this can look like usually something where we um, more meditate on, uh, on some part of God, some attribute of God. Mm. And... Uh, and then just listen and meditate on that. Don't have to say anything. Do that for 15 or 20 minutes. And uh, that really helps um, focus. It's, and then maybe pray after that. It's amazing how that 15 or 20 minutes of focusing and being aware of who you're talking to and, uh, and what he's doing in your life, how that changes how you, if you pray, with, just use words to pray after that. It's amazing how mm -hmm. that changes you. And you become so much more focused. Practically, you don't have 20 minutes every day to do that before you pray, but if you can do that a few times a month or something, or just something, just start one time, that, that's amazing. Yeah. For myself, um, if, if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you start to think about is life, busyness is going to overrun your life. So I start out the first thing in the morning, before I really do anything, um, is... I go open, I, I do just a little daily read, and I open the Bible, and I read some of the words that Christ has given us in his, in his word. And that seems, for me, that seems to be the way that I take off in the morning. It helps me direct myself away from the busyness of life, and I start out with Christ and giving him glory. It, that's, that's how I do it. It just seems to help me get through the day, and I find more joy in in even heading to work if I think about Christ first every morning. Right on. Okay. Um, 
How about, so are there, this is a tough question maybe, but are there signs in our life, maybe in your own life or in the lives of others, that you've seen that shows that there's not enough margin? Like, are there markers that we can look for to go, man, maybe that's not, I don't have enough time or space in my life for God. Like, do we see those? What are they? Um, I think a marker for me in that is I'm uh, a little bit flustered under the surface, maybe a little bit angry at all the stuff that I have to get done. Um, I feel that sometimes if I've worked for, if I've worked all week and then I've got stuff to do all weekend long, just kind of a, uh, I just don't feel at rest. I know that I need to step back. And I see a big difference when I have a day off where I have rested and taken a Sabbath. Um, and hmm. that affects the entire rest of my week, the rest of my life, my hmm. outlook, my awareness and perception of other people and what I'm doing. It, it's a game changer. Right on. I agree. I think there's a disconnect. If, if, you're, if you're really not spending enough time... Uh, and again, how subtle Satan is, you know, part of my job is all I, I don't have to do the work. I just have to tell people to do the work. And a lot of my disconnect is it's real easy for me that when somebody's not got the positive attitude and they just want to give you more flack than anything, to just want to scream at them and say, you know, don't you have God in your life? But that's Satan pushing me that way. You know, God is not to be a punishment in your life. It's, it's to bring glory and joy to your life. And I feel that disconnect. And, and again, that's where I take that time out just to say, okay, Laura, I just need to take a couple minutes just to spend some time with you so my head gets back right. But you're right. It feels like a disconnect when you're not, I don't know. Kind of disjointed, or yeah, 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 like or things about prayer, mm -hmm. and you're like you're praying, but you don't. You, it's like yeah. nothing's happening. So what's going on? If I'm not hearing anything, then what's the problem, Lord? And and the problem is is us. I mean, mm -hmm. We're not listening correctly. Okay, um, so the I brought up Sabbath. <laughs> Let's speculate a little bit. What's the Sabbath for? <laughs> like, what is it for? What? Absolutely, and. and I think people that know me, I, I really do let them know this. Um, and I'll tell you a practical thing right now is, is because of my son. My son plays music every weekend, which includes a lot of Sundays. And when, when I went to see him, one of my big questions is always, have you found a church home? I don't want you to be disconnected from go being there with fellow believers that can help encourage and, and pray with and, and do other things. Uh, and, and his comment was, well, yeah, uh, Wednesday night, there's, there's a guy that this is where he goes. Well, if that is, if, if your day to rest is a Wednesday, so be it. To me, a Sabbath is the day that you take time out to fellowship, to bring more glory to God, to, to do things to let God know, hey, you're a major part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what day that is. Because we all know that, that our work schedules switch. Um, for the, for the uh, college, you know, our, our, our young people in college, they, they may have to just do nothing but study the whole weekend trying to get through exams and that. Well, that's fine. So move your, move your day to Thursday nights when you're, you know, doing, doing the service up there. That's to me, the Sabbath is the day that I take to try to spend the most of my day doing things, basking in God's glory to bring Him glory. And that's really all it is. is okay. 
resting in Him. Right on. Mm -hmm. Rest is so important. Uh, for Beth and I, we've um, talked about this a lot. How are we going to take rest consistently? Um, and su Sunday has been our Sabbath. That's the day that we've been able to block off as um, really try hard. We're not going to work this day. Mm -hmm. um, with I do environmental education. Beth does agritourism. Those are our weekends, our popular times for that. And so we really try to make sure that Sunday we are not working. Um, and we're not going to do anything that requires a lot of uh, strenuous activity or anything like that. We are going to rest. We're going to worship God. We're going to hang out together. Hopefully, uh, maybe even do something and make some memories. But uh, Sunday has been our day. And we've tried to protect that. Well, now, it's a funny thing, by the way, because you mentioned Beth. And um, so one of the things that I think is crazy is it's in there. It says, uh, your animals. But you've said to me before, cows got to be milked. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, not to put that on you, but, you know, it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because it's like there are some things. That's how I think Ed and I feel. There's things that have to happen seven days. Mm -hmm. So you have to schedule things and... and yeah, and, and for agriculture, it's a whole other um, outlook. It's a, uh, on how you do work. You have seasons throughout the year when you're super busy, and um, you try to take that one day, and you try to be less busy that day relative to your other days, um, and that's how you have to do it. Yeah, right on. All right, last question. Uh, what do you think? Uh, it's a two-parter. you ready? This is the final round. <laughs> and then unless they have questions out here. What do, you, what do you think God needs from us? And what do we need from him? From him is the easy part. You need everything from him. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, Man, that has so changed. Uh, okay, I'm going to jump on the old bandwagon. I, I, when I was younger, when I was college age, I give you guys so much kudos for, for being here and, and for working through your lives and that the way you do it now because God was not a priority to me when I was younger. Hmm. I went to church because I went to church. That mm -hmm. was it. Um, and how much joy I missed in my life is, is you know, that's on me because I just didn't know him personally. Um, what do we need from God? I, I will just tell you, we need everything from God. No matter what we're going to do in life, we need him to be in our hearts and, and to be able to listen to him, um, which is, is so miraculous to me now. Now I need him more than ever. When I was younger, I thought I could do things on my own. And I was showing people that I could do things on my own. But I didn't realize that through it all, until I got old enough to understand, I wasn't doing near what I thought I was on my own. Without God leading the way, I was out there floundering, bottom line. I've always known Christ, but I've never known him personally. And it is such a blessing to me now to be able to feel his love on such a daily basis mm -hmm. and to know where things are happening. I was a firm believer on, well, you know, th that happened and that's, you know, people say, well, you're lucky that that happened to you. It has nothing to do with luck if you really take a good hard look at it. It's got nothing to do with luck. It's Christ and him leading you on your daily mm -hmm. routine. And I'm just speaking from the old perspective. <laughs> it sure is nice to know now, but, you know, praise God, we've got 
people that still, at a young age, love him as much as they do, and, and they're going to direct their life through him. So. Yeah, right on. Yes, yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, what God needs from us is for us to trust him, uh, for us to rely on him, to depend on him. That's all he wants. He's, he is everything that we need. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we realize that, that's, it does amazing things for, uh, for our growth in our faith. And, uh, and it's so easy to, to have a list of things to do. And especially for me, I, I think that way. All these things I have to get done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock them out. I'm going to take care of myself. Um, but what God does throughout your whole life is try to teach you that it's more important for you to change to become more like him and depend on him than it is to get those things done, mm -hmm. which is something that I'm still learning. But uh, I think that's what he wants from us is to learn that and then right. depend on him. Very good. All right. So chance for questions. I know it's kind of a little weird, but if you have a question you want to ask, yes, Lance Carpenter. I am going to give that a shot at an answer. I think that that's where, I, I think that that, and I hope it's really only 10% by the time it all comes down to it. But I think that's where God has handed us the free will. He, we again are his children. And he is, it is his will that we are able to make good decisions. And I think he gives us that 10% of free will to say, you got it, you're on the right path or, you know what, maybe we need to have another little talk. So I think that 10% is for us to grow. And, and I, that's how I'm living it. That's all I can say. And I think God is, he's, he should be, I think, by saying that, you think about God most of your life, he is. Mm -hmm. He's not somewhere else. Yeah. He's right here in everything we do. And so when you're playing with your kids, when you're serving someone, when you're doing your job to glorify God, um, you should have an awareness of who you're doing it for and uh, that he is there with you. I think that that's um, growing in that awareness is how you can think about God. Well, and I think it's clear. I think one thing that needs to be said as well is that like if you think about the Sabbath command that was given to Israel who had God with him all the time in a very tangible way, right? Um, a fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. And it wasn't like that Six days God was absent. One day he was present. It was God was always there, but one day they were supposed to stop what they were doing and pay attention and, and not do anything. For, and the wisdom of that is God's. Like, why didn't God say work seven days a week? He could have said that. Do, do more. He didn't say that. And so uh, I think I get where you're asking that question. That's like we're trying to regulate parts of our lives for no God and part of life for God. But, um, man, most of us don't have any space once we can work it in. Good question, though. Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> Here we go. No. <laughs> Pharisaical. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Picking grain is not work. <laughs> the, the line would be something that dominates your thoughts. That is away from your rest and um, knowing God and knowing the relationships you have right around you, something that distracts you from that. I think that's, that's probably work. I, th I think it's worth, I think that's a question worth asking because there's, there's some, you know, it's not about legalism and the Bible has made it clear. Jesus made it clear himself, right? Um, and so it's, it's worth wrestling with that individually. God, what, what would it look like to honor you today? 
if, and, and especially if things are nagging, like this must happen, and you hear the Spirit of the Lord saying, not today, who are you going to obey? And that's like the question, who's your boss? And not to be insubordinate, but like, I'm not doing that, you know? And, and um, the Lord's conviction, I would say, is what I would, I mean, I don't know if there's an answer, right? Like, there's not going to be like, here's the line, don't carry a pail of water. That was kind of the conversation they got into. Don't make food. You make it the day before. You eat leftovers. I mean, the, don't go to restaurants because you're making people work. I mean, these are the kind of conversations we get into. But I think it's more about, like, an obedience in our heart to what the Lord, and, and I would say, honestly, too, today, if, if the Lord's convicted you like he's convicted me about some stuff, listen to that voice and obey him. I mean, that'd be my encouragement. I don't, I'd put one other thing to that as well, Chris. You know, in our order of, of life, it's, it's God and then family, right? And if you really want to know where, where the line is for work, how is it also affecting your family? Do you feel like you're spending enough family time? Because if family is second in line and you don't think you're spending enough time in family, you're probably struggling with spending enough time with the Lord, too. So I would look at it both ways. Yeah. Good question, though. And I know in, like, church world, we don't like to be told no. I mean, like, what? You don't have time for this, too? Anyway. All right. I'd love to ask more questions, but we probably are over time, so I want to honor that. Um, thanks. For, keep the conversation going. And if, if you're not going to family group, I'd invite you to go to family group. You can come Monday nights, uh, Wednesday nights. You can go to Bible studies. What are the Bible studies happening right now? Are they happening right now? Men are doing eat, meet, and greet. Meet, greet, and eat, which was really cool. Um, women, are they meeting right now? Two more weeks in the Bible study yet. So that's on Wednesdays. Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to pray for us one more time. We'll ask the band to come up and then we'll, we'll uh, dismiss for the day. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for um, these questions that you raised in our hearts. And uh, Lord, we don't want to become legalistic and we don't want to regulate certain parts of our life for you and the rest for us as if it's for us. Help us to see you in and through everything, um, but help us also to honor you in and everything. Everything. Um, if you've laid things on our heart today, I know you have on mind that, that there are some things that we need to um, pay attention to or change. Give us the courage to change them. Um, give us the courage to obey you and, uh, and, and see what you would do through our obedience. Uh, we want to honor you, and we want to uh, know you more. Help us to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.